Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Grad School Femtoring Podcast. This is your host, Doctora Yvette. And today we have a special guest who's going to discuss her journey on becoming a doctora. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> Our guest is uh, Doctora Mayra Gaona. She is a school psychologist and received her PhD in school psychology from Loyola University, Chicago. She's currently completing a postdoctoral experience in a hospital university setting in the Chicago area. She's also serving as an adjunct professor. Her research interests in include trauma-informed schools, multi-tiered supports for EL students, and the experiences of newcomer immigrant youth. She is the founder and creator of the Instagram page, Becoming a Doctora, where she shares tips and inspiration for first-gen students whose hope is to pursue graduate school. Welcome to the podcast, Doctora Mayra. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Doctora. It's a, it's a pleasure. Oh, I'm so happy. I'm so happy to have you here to talk about the first-gen experience and what it's been like for you becoming a doctora and a first-gen professional. And I would love for you to get us started by telling us a little bit more about your background, your backstory, and how you got to where you are today. Anything you're open and comfortable sharing with us? Yes, of course. Um, so I think for a lot of us, right, as, as um first generation students, I think our background is super, super important to us. And so I, I love the opportunity to get to share that with, uh, with folks, right? But I am obviously first gen um, Mexicana, daughter of immigrants from Michoacan, Mexico. Um, so my parents immigrated similar to many other parents of first generation students um, at a very young age. And so um, my dad was the first to there's a little bit of a uh, different uh, difference in ages between my parents. And so my, my dad's the one who um, got to the United States um, like sooner than my mom did. And so he actually started working as an agricultural worker um, in California. And so I sort of, whenever I share my story, I'm like, you know, I have never lived in California, but I feel like my story, you know, starts like from Mexico. And then there's also, you know, the times that my dad spent in, in California. And so he was an agricultural worker and he always tells me all the stories, right, about just how hard that work was and just this, even stories about where they were worried que iba a venir la migra, you know, and, and just, you know, um, take them back to Mexico essentially. And so all of those things are, are, are things that have stuck to me. And I like to, you know, um, remember those, those things, right. Especially throughout my journey, like remember those things to, to kind of push me forward. And so that's a little bit about my dad. Um, and then my mom, um, so her, her dad was also working as an agricultural worker. I think he was more of like a bracero, right? Cause it was like a, a little bit back. Yeah. And so essentially he was able to, you know, uh, have his children come over to this country, but it was also again at a very young age. And so, um, you know, ever since then, I think my parents have always had, you know, have always been from the working class, um, had a working class background. And so we grew up being low income. My parents were working um, factory jobs and to this day they still are. And so that's a little bit about my background and 
uh, like I said, we grew up low income, but I feel like similar to other first generation students, I feel like I never needed more, right? Like my parents were able to, you know, provide for me and they instilled, I think a really good, really some really good values, right? And the biggest one being education. And so um, there wasn't an expectation per se, right? Like for for because I have I'm one of two uh three siblings one of two siblings I should say I have two sisters and so there was never an expectation of like okay you're gonna go to college you know you're gonna do this I feel like it was very much living day by day right and really learning as we go right and then sometimes from other families right like my parents with you know friends that they would have here in the United States or people that they worked with in the United States like we learn about certain different things and so um again I don't think I you know as a child I don't think I ever imagined okay this is what I want to do I'm not I'm going to go to college right I never think I I don't know personally I never like I was I don't know if I never thought about like what I would be when I grow up right but again, just like given our backgrounds and like you literally live day, day to day, right? So you don't really imagine like what's gonna come in the future. And so my sister was like the first in our family to pursue college and she applied to college and she was in college for quite a while, didn't finish her studies um, due to a variety of, of reasons, right? But she kind of paved the way for my siblings and I. Um, and again, my parents instilled education. And so this opportunity sort of was presented right to my sister. Um, this guidance was provided to my sister and she was able to, you know, pave the way for my siblings and I. And so from there, um, I was able to apply to college. Again, I didn't really know what I was, what I was doing. I was sort of like, okay, my sister applied. So I guess that means I have to apply. Um, but yeah, high school, I don't I'm gonna sound like my parents but I was like like I got like grades like I didn't take my education very seriously even though my parents were like you guys have to do well you know and so um in college was like you know the first time that I actually like cared right um and I think a lot of that was because I was able, able to find psychology and I was able to find something that I was passionate about um but anywho I don't want to get into some of the <laughs> some of other stuff that we'll yeah. talk about later but that's a little bit about myself and how I came to education and my journey yeah that's a perfect segue because I I was curious I was like why psychology and then how did you go from majoring in psychology to then pursuing grad school because if you if you started out really young, not even knowing about going to college, not having this conception to then arrive at college and want to then jump into graduate school, that's a huge leap. I know I wanted, to, I actually wanted, I didn't know what college was, but I wanted to go to college when I was little. I, I had never stepped foot on a college campus, but when I got to college, I didn't even know grad school existed. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious what your journey pursuing graduate school was like. Like, at what point did you find out about it? What motivated you to apply? And specifically, why school psychology? Because that's a very specific field. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that that's a great question. And so, like I said, I, I started taking psychology courses in college, really loved it. 
and it came so natural to me and so easy. And so I was like, um, I was undeclared, like an undeclared major for a little bit. And then as I started taking courses, I was like, okay, I think I want to commit to this. You know, I was having commitment issues. I was like, do I want to do this <laughs> or not? Um, but no, I went for it and I was like, okay. Um, and so from there, I think I started just becoming really involved with research. Um, I was like on a, I would support one of my professors with research, but then we had the opportunity to, um, to complete like our own sort of like research project. And so from there, it was like, I was able to create my own research project. Like I presented it. It was like, you know, just like academic stuff, right? Essentially. Um, and so from there, I was very sort of just intrigued. And I think I, at the time I didn't know, but a lot of my professors, I think were picking up on the fact that I was actually building experiences that could make me a very competitive applicant, right? So for me, it was like, I'm just going through these notions because I <laughs> like this, right? Yeah. Um, but then I think my professors were like, you know, you could apply to graduate school. And so this actually, this idea wasn't presented to me until like like my third year of college. So like almost towards the end. And I always tell folks like, don't do this. <laughs> Obviously this is what happened to me, but yes, I learned about this possibility of graduate school, like towards the end of my like junior year of college. And then like the summer, and then I applied like the, during my fall of senior year. And so it took, it was like a very short turnaround. Right. Yeah. And so I was like thinking about it, considering it. And it was like, okay, it's time to apply. And so, as I say, do, do not recommend this to, to mm -hmm. folks, right. Obviously this was what happened to me. Right. And I'm glad it worked out, but Oftentimes I sit and think and like how different would it have been, right? If I had spent a little, little bit more time, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe preparing, uh, maybe if people weren't pushing me to like figure out what comes next, right? Because I think there's always that, there was definitely that, that I was like, so it's either I have to get a job after I graduate college or it's grad school. There wasn't anything in between, right? Um, and so that also, I think, really influenced that decision whether or not I, I wanted to pursue graduate school like right off the bat um so yeah I mean like I said it was a very short turnaround and then luckily um and again by no means do I recommend this but it, it ended up being that I was accepted into a school psychology program and um psychology is very broad it has different like branches of psychology and there was like clinical psychology programs. There was like community psychology programs, like school psychology programs. So when I was applying, I just kind of went broad. Like I was just like, honestly, like all of these sort of um, programs have like interests of mine because I've always sort of been a person who like could see myself, like my interests are broad, right? Where they could be applicable to different, like um, just like areas of studies, right? And so, um, I was like, okay, I'm gonna apply to like clinic, some clinical programs, I'll apply to the school programs and I'll apply to like community programs. Um, at the time, again, I don't know if that was the right thing to do, but I did it. <laughs> and so I learned about really school psychology, like very later on in, in my college career. 
I learned about it, I would say uh, much more, right? During the whole process of like interviews and like everything. And so school psychology was right at the intersection between education and psychology. Mm -hmm. And that to me was like, you know, amazing, right? Cause I was always, I love those fields, right? Separately, but when they come together, I think it's just so much, so powerful, right? And so I always knew in my head, I'm gonna work with kids. And so the, it, it just kind of seemed like the perfect fit for me, right? Obviously um, it ended up being sort of just like a weird way to learn about school psychology, right? But that, that that's how it worked out for me. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's like pretty much it. And then after that, I was definitely, you know, as I was seeking some of the coursework, I was like, yeah, I made the right choice, you know? And so, yeah, that's how I came to really, uh, how I really came to this field. I, um, I love that you shared that, uh, you had this general interest in psychology and then you decided to kind of explore the different areas and then you arrived at this intersection so some sometimes we arrive at disciplines because of the intersection of our different interests so like in my case it was performance studies which is the intersection of anthropology and theater uh, so school psychology education and psychology um, I'm glad that you mentioned that and that you mentioned your interest in working with kids. C can you quickly, um, just for folks who might not be familiar with school psychology, maybe say a little bit more about what school psychologists do? Sure. So school psychologists um, are, I would say most folks think it is uh, doing a lot of like assessments um, of students and essentially collecting information um, and doing testing to, to say um, a student might need like special education. And so that's what folks tend to think that it is. But essentially the role of a school psychologist is very, uh, we do a lot of things. So we provide therapy within the schools. Uh, we consult with teachers on a variety of like different things such as interventions, mm -hmm. um, just like classroom strategies that they can incorporate um, in their classroom so that students can learn better. Um, we collaborate with parents and we sometimes help develop um, programming for families to increase sort of family school collaboration. Um, we do a variety of different things. I feel like it's, you know, that we do a lot more than just testing. We do assessment, counseling, consultation, collaboration, just a broad range of things. And um, I think it's, um, the field has been developing a lot more and I think they've been building more ways for people to learn about this, about the role, right, of a school psychologist because our field in general, psychology is very white, right? But our mm -hmm. particular field, uh, our specific field, school psychology is also very white and it doesn't reflect the population in yeah. schools. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I'm actually glad I asked because I've worked with school psychologists before, like in relation to getting accessibility supports for my son, but I actually didn't realize that there's this whole breadth of things that, that you do as a school psychologist, including like the programming aspect of that. I, I didn't know about that. It reminds me of um, when uh, a while back when I interviewed someone who was a, a school librarian and then I realized, whoa, librarians do so much. So I'm glad that you shared that and you kind of demystified the, the profession a little bit more. 
I, I would love to go back to to your grad school experience, though, because I know that I you're here to talk about the process of becoming a doctora. That word is 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 so particular. Um, uh, and in terms of becoming, for a lot of us, especially first gen Latinas and first gen BIPOCs, it it can be quite. Um, a shock, you know, and quite in some, it's not always the case, but it, it can sometimes be full of um, lack of support uh, or lack of representation in higher ed. And so I'm curious about your experience and what were some of the challenges that you specifically faced as a first gen Latina in your graduate program? Yes. Um, so I attended um, a primarily white institution. And there's things that I constantly reflect on, right? Like what could have made my journey better? And, you know, as I had stated um, previously, like my faculty saw that I could be competitive enough to apply to graduate school. They pushed me to apply to graduate school. And I'm very grateful for that, but there was a gap, right? In the fact that they, they didn't fully um, sort of give a disclaimer, right? Like these might be some of the things that you um, will encounter, right? As a, as a person of color, right? And to some extent, I understand that that, that that wasn't a part of their identity, right? And so maybe it was not, they felt like that it might not be their place to share because that's not an identity that we share. But I do feel like a lot, and I feel like I share this experience with some folks that I've spoken to, but that's a gap, right? Mm -hmm. So I think we need faculty professors, not if you're advising students, right, especially um, like from bi BIPOC populations, like you should not just be advising to like pushing your advisees to apply to graduate school, but you should also demystify sort of some of the, the challenges or how these institutions and systems are set up, right? And so I obviously got into this program at a PWI, had no idea what a PWI was. And so immediately it was like big culture shock. So I went from a, um, a smaller institution, HSI, um, and it felt like, oh my gosh, like it was a lot, right? A lot of things to process. And so obviously, like I said, it was a much larger institution. So that was one thing, but I realized no one around here really looks like me. You know, that was like the biggest thing. I went from an HSI and, you know, I had a group of friends back in undergrad and, you know, we would all like, you know, we were all like Latinos, right? Mm -hmm. And so we'd be like chatting in Spanish, like, you know, just the way that we as Latinos are, like, that's the way that we would like build community and just like chat amongst each other. And that was like, it felt like a little piece of home, right? And when I went into this institution, I was like, okay, well, I'm not getting any of that here, mm -hmm. you know? And so, yeah, definitely lack of representation was like the biggest thing for me. And it definitely hurt a lot. And I think that contributed a lot to the uncertainty and doubt that I had the first couple of years of my program. Um, and so the first couple of years, it was just so hard to get adjusted, right? Like not only because of the, you know, the fact that it was such a large institution, the fact that there was no representation, 
It was also that grad school was very, very different. The expectations were different. Um, before it felt like people were were holding my hand, right? And almost like, okay, like these are the course requirements. Like this is sort of the expectation. Like you're supposed to do X, Y, Z assignments. And this is, you know, this is what it looks like. But in, in grad school, it was very like independent, more independent, mm -hmm. right? We're like, we're gonna give you these readings. You have to decide when you're gonna do them. And on top of this, you have to go to, at least for us, we had to do some like applied experiences within the schools. And so it was like very much figuring out your own schedule, uh, a little bit more independence. And so that was so hard for me as well. I was like, oh my goodness, like, I don't know how to do this, right? Um, so there was there was also that, right, to navigate. And so at first, like the first two years, I can say it was so, so, so hard. Um, I remember just so many times my first year of the program, just being so worried about whether or not I appeared smart um, uh, amongst my, my classmates, um, whether or not if I spoke up and I said something, whether like faculty would say, uh, she's not gonna be, she's not smart enough. Why do we even let her into this program, right? Um, things like that. And so I would come home crying a lot. Um, and I, I don't know, it was just probably one of the most difficult times of the program, right? Um, over time, I think, you know, we all sort of develop ways to, to resist, right? To, um, to just overcome a lot of these challenges. But I would say that those were like sort of the primary ones. Um, in addition to lack of representation, I think just like mentorship for me, like it wasn't, at least I've personally always sought out a mentor who looks like me, right? Who can understand what it is to come from a, a, a family like mine. And when I say a family like mine, it's like a, you know, a Latino mm -hmm. family with collectivist values and things like that, right? And sort of understand that I'm not just an academic, that I'm always kind of going to be thinking about my family, like, you know, just having to work, right? Like things like that. And so I always struggle with that aspect too, the fact that I never had mentors like that um, in my graduate journey, right? And so again, I much later into my journey, right? I was able to just develop some ways to um, cope with those things and overcome some of these challenges. But yeah, I would say overall, it was it was all of those things. Um, and it was, it was definitely difficult. Hearing you talk about your experience um, is an experience that I hear so often. It's almost like an echo of so many of us who have that same feeling those same thoughts of I'm not good enough, they made a mistake, being afraid to participate, going home crying. And I wish that I could like go to your previous self and, and um, even whisper in all of the ears of all the undergrads that are listening to this podcast episode to say like, you're not alone and you are more than worth it. And you are in this space for a reason. And if you don't feel good enough, it's because these spaces are not affirming you mm -hmm. um, enough. Mm -hmm. And um, 
I'm just, I'm glad that you shared that because it's, again, it's part of the, the larger echo of like reminding people that they're not alone. But then also I can imagine it might have been the catalyst or one of the reasons behind your starting your platform. So I, I would love for you to now talk to us about how did that get started? Because you've got a really big platform and it's incredible everything that you share and it's so inspirational and motivational. And I'm sure folks who are listening to the podcast are also familiar with you and your platform. So how did that get started? Tell us all the cheesemen. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I I love this question. And I'm sometimes I'm like, for real, how did I start this? But <laughs> I think it was an idea that I had um, for a while. And so from me thinking about this idea to actually executing the idea, it actually took a while, but I followed pages like um, the pages of Academic Mommy, uh, Latina Grad Guide. And I was like, this is really awesome, right? And it, at times it felt like it was my only sort of like outlet, right? To know, okay, there's other people doing this. Um, the hard part sometimes is that other people, so a lot of these creators like lived in California, right? Mm -hmm. And so I was living out here in the Midwest and I was like, it's like, we're doing the same thing, but it doesn't feel like, you know, like it's just for me, I'm like a very location. Like I need to feel that you're somewhat close to me, right? Again, I think it's similar to what we speak of representation, right? Like someone who understands my context, right? And so for me, I was like, okay, there's not this context piece right now. Um, and so I, obviously for a variety of reasons that was one of those things right I was like why don't I try and maybe do something similar right so that was one of the initial ideas but I was also like I, I was like I had told you I was really going through it right and I was like I don't have too many people to share this with like obviously I had my siblings but you know your siblings Obviously, I know my siblings are, are kind, right? And they'll listen to me, but it's just, it's different. And so I, at the time, didn't have too much of a support system because a lot of the friends that I had in undergrad, um, we all sort of went our separate ways, right? Like we all had different career journeys, right? And so I was sort of just in the midst of two of just like um, a friendship transitions, uh, I don't know if that's the best word, but something like that. Um, and so I, this idea really came from, okay, I want to share my experiences, right? Um, it's okay if I don't get, like, if people don't care, but at least I want to just, like, make this uh, something for me, right? Where I sort of release stress and I post pictures of, like, this was this day and this happened, right? Whatever. So it came from that. And it also you know, in some ways it was like stress, right? A stress reliever for me, right? Um, and so I saw pages like the ones that I had mentioned and I was like, why not, right? Um, but yeah, I think that's pretty pretty much it. It seems very simple, but it's just kind of incredible what how much I think that that page has given me. And just a side note, this is actually three years today from oh. when I started my, my page. 
<laughs> Felicidades, three years. So That's incredible. Everything that you've done in the three years since then, you have become a doctora. <laughs> yeah. And an additional point that I just forgot to to mention, and if it's okay, I want to add. Um, so I had, like I said, this is the idea. I forgot to share the execution, right? Like when I actually like made it happen, but. I actually started again, I'm celebrating three years of my page. And so I actually started this page in 2020. And so I was like right in the middle of the pandemic and go que nunca me anime, right? A hacerlo. Like más temprano, I was kind of like, mm, like this is a great idea, but I'm also don't not sure I have the time for it or sure that I want to put myself out there. And so during the pandemic, I was like, literally i have time right because we can't go go out i'm in <laughs> i'm in i'm in this house um and why not you know and i i think for me it was like a lot of i think for a lot of us right the pandemic um forces to like reevaluate some of the things that we were doing right on a on a daily basis right and really what our values were right yes. and what things matter to us and so i think that that is also just a very, very powerful, that was a powerful time for me, right? And this is how, and this is something I was able to do a product, right? Of just like those times. And like I said, this page has given me so much, but I think that that was important to share that it happened during the pandemic. I um, I think, yeah, you're right. For a lot of us during the pandemic, it was a, a big, um, I don't know how to describe it, but it was, we, we learned a lot of lessons from the pandemic about what, what are the things that are most important to us? What are the things that we need? And one of the things that a lot of us needed and continue to need is community. And you were able to build that through your platform. And I'm curious, um, what uh, specifically, like what you said, it's given you so much, like what kind of impact uh, have you noticed that it's had? And and what, what do you envision for the future of the platform? I can picture you doing a lot of things, but I'm just curious if you have uh, considered where you're taking it in the future. Yes, so when I say that it has given me so much, um, I can definitely speak to community, right? And support. And so that was one of the original sort of ideas and sort of things that I, even though I explicitly never said it out loud, definitely something that I was seeking out, right? And so I have been able to build relationships with folks on there that I had no idea that I would create, right? Like I get to chat with folks like you, right? You're like mm -hmm. amazing. And I get oh. to do that, right? Because of why? Because we connected on social media. And so this is the biggest thing, right? That I've been able to connect with a whole bunch of people from throughout the United States, but also outside of the country, right? Who are pursuing, um, you know, academic degrees, right? And we're all kind of like on the same boat, right? We all were are on the same boat and we're all navigating the same things and it decreased, right? The loneliness that I felt. Um, and so that was the biggest thing. And it still to this day continues to be the biggest thing, like people sending me porras, right, for like different, you know, things that I'm pursuing now, right, as a as a first gen professional, and I do the same to others, right. And I know we're all kind of like a, a small community, mighty community, 
basically hacemos todos eso, right? Like we all like root for each other. Um, and one of the other things that I've seen it transform, like social media transform into is just like a powerful tool too for networking and for like yes. sharing information, sharing opportunities, um, like, you know, job opportunities, like research studies, like things like that. And so this is what I mean when it, when I say it has given us so much, right? And personally for me, I definitely feel that in a variety of ways. Um, and I just, I feel like that's pretty much it. I mean, I, I can't, I'm just so grateful for it. You know, um, I feel like I've been able to utilize social media as a tool in those ways, right? To build community, to advance my own professional um, career, right? Um, I know pages like yours have been super instrumental to me for just like tips, right? And how to sort of keep moving forward. And I know we owe a lot of this, right? To, to folks like you, right? Who are more advanced in your careers and who have paved the way for a lot of us um, who have pages like this. So thank you and shout Aww. out to you as well. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. And I can envision you'll keep doing this work for a while, especially now that you have made this transition and I, I could argue you're still in the transition of, of the from student to professional. I feel like it took me a while to fully um, to fully lean into my doctora identity <laughs> and to get acclimated to oh I'm not a student anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm curious about that about that transition for you. What lessons have you learned or are currently learning about the transition from being a student, a graduate student in particular, and now being a first-gen professional? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so one of the biggest lessons for me has been that it, it never, you never really start, stop paving the way, right? Like it's a constant like cycle of like, okay, I'm navigating this for the first time, right? And so as a, uh, as a professional, as a starting, a very, um, a starting psychologist, right? In anything that I've had to pursue, right? I've always sort of been like, I don't know how to do this, right? Like I've never, like, I just, I've never done this, right? <laughs> and so it's like a learning curve, right? And it's like consistently learning new information, right? And so that was the biggest thing for me. I was like, oh, so you mean this isn't over? Like, <laughs> I, have to keep, I, I have to keep doing this. I um, hate to cut it to you, but yeah, it doesn't end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So see, this is you saying it. So like now I got to really, you know, get that into my head, right? Like it's it's been an adjustment just to consistently, you know, like, yeah, I don't know how to describe it, right? But as leveling a, up. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh my goodness. But that's been the biggest one for sure. And I'll be honest with you, I think um, this is related, right, to, you know, being a first-time professional. But I think there's also like a lot of doubt um, and uncertainty, right, after the PhD. And I know personally for me, um, you know, I spent a, a lot of time devoted to this program and it was almost like, you know, I devoted everything right to this program. Like I lived, breathed this graduate program. And so um, I think that 
you know, people told me, right, this is how, you know, you work so hard and you're going to see the outcome of it, right, mm -hmm. as soon as you graduate. Um, and so sometimes the reality doesn't, doesn't match up, right, to the things that people tell you that will happen. And so that was one of the big things for me too. Like I was like, my reality does not match what people told me was going to happen. Right. And so I think, you know, it's built up for us. Right. Um, and I shared this, I think a couple of weeks ago, but I did not land my perfect job. Right. Right. After the PhD, like I'm gonna be real. I didn't. Um, and I felt so sad for a while and I was like, Oh my goodness. Like, what is going on? Like, why did I mess up? Why did I make this decision? Like, I shouldn't have accepted this position, blah, blah, blah. Like it was a whole deal, right? Like, um, but I was able to really through just like, you know, internal work and then talking to my therapist, um, she was able to say, you wouldn't have known, right? That you, this is not the position you would have wanted unless you had pursued it, right? And so I think as first-generation students, right, we want to be able to, you know, see the roots of our, of, of, of that work, right, that we put mm -hmm. in, right? We want to see um, the outcomes, right? Like, mm -hmm. we know, like, for a lot of us, it's, through our journey, that sacrifice is the biggest thing, right? And so we want to be able to show the sacrifice valió la pena, right? Mm -hmm. So I think for me, I just the fact that I wasn't maybe I didn't land the perfect job, like that felt horrible. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And I started, you know, to some extent comparing my uh, like post PhD job and my post PhD journey to like other people. Um, which is not good, <laughs> but it happens. Um, and that was a lot. That was a lot for me to, to, um, to process, to understand. Um, and that's not something that a lot of people, I think, talk about, right? Just what happens after the PhD? Like, what are the feelings that come with finishing up a, a PhD? And I know that this is not obviously something that everyone goes through, but it is something that some people experience. And I mean, I can share, right, that that, that was my experience. And that was one of the other things that I wasn't ready for. You know, it's actually quite common. I have a whole, I think, at least one episode on like post-grad blues. And uh, so it reminds me of the parallels of like the high expectations that you have of like landing a job or going to grad school after you finish your college degree. Similarly, after grad school, there's this like big um, expectation, like you're building up to this big moment and then you file and you finish, you defend, you file, you finish and you're like, this is it? Like what? And also I appreciate you normalizing that in a lot of cases, people don't end up landing their dream jobs. And if they do, it's not the first job. So I'd like to remind individuals, um, especially folks that like are within my, my vicinity, like to say, it's okay to have a stepping stone job. You know, it's okay to have a job that pays the bills. It's okay to not, for your job to not be your calling, like, because you are your calling and you, you, you can like do that in different spaces. It doesn't have to be in your nine to five. Um, and also the realities of folks who want to stay in academia and go on the tenure track job market are that, there are just not enough jobs. 
and you have no idea what the circumstances are for the people that do land the jobs. What are their circumstances? What are their resources? What are their privileges? And sometimes some of it is just flat out luck in terms of what positions become available on any given year. And so I just wanna, again, thank you for normalizing that. It actually is quite common to not, not land your perfect dream job immediately after grad school. And um, that that's okay too. And that, I, I mean, I guess everybody's um, outcomes for their PhD are different, but in my experience, I, I have never regretted getting a PhD because even if I didn't land a perfect job, as a result of it, I have become the person that I am now as a result of it. And you have too, I would, I would argue. So yeah, I, I would love um, to transition to maybe having you share some words of advice, some consejos for first-gen students, folks who are in the thick of it, who are currently navigating the grad school process and maybe in their fields too, because of all you know, the, the, the struggles and um, yeah, I guess I, anything you want to share with them now that you're on the other side. Yeah. So I would definitely say that don't be afraid to, um, to seek out, I think, mentorship outside of your institution, right? Like you don't have to um, devote all your time to institution or be, uh, or think that you owe all your time to the institution, right? Like you are more than okay to seek out external like mentorship, right? To reach out to folks um, via social media for mentorship, right? And I and I say that, right? Because that was my, my own experience, right? Like I always, like I had said, right? During, earlier during the, the this episode, I, I mentioned, right? Like I never had somebody who looked like me, who could mentor me. But I did seek that out through social media. And for a while I was like, is this weird? You know, should I do this? But why not? You know what I mean? Um, Wait, did you reach out to professors through social media or to, to who? I reached out to uh, different like senior psychologists. So like oh, folks wow. who, had, who had been, who have platforms and who have been out in the field for a while. And so I can share just an example, but when I was applying for postdocs, I was like, I don't know what I should be looking for in a postdoc. I don't know how to negotiate. Like, I don't know all of these things. And I was able to reach out to someone that I knew on social media. And I was like, hey, do you think you could maybe support me with this? Or like, what do you think are some kinds of questions that I should be asking? Or how can I go about this? And so she's somebody that I reached out to via social media and so I would you know tell folks like it's okay to use tools like social media right like that's what these tools are for right nowadays and so um don't feel like it's it's not okay right and again I think our institutions oftentimes will tell us well you shouldn't do this well you shouldn't do that right but again it's very much tailored to white students right to who might be have the resources right have the means um, you know, and not tailored to us, right? And so we have to do things that are most authentic to us, right? That are most helpful to us. And so um, I know it can be hard at first, but don't be afraid to do it. Um, it will be so beneficial. Um, so that's my, my first piece of advice. And then my second piece of advice is definitely to, um, to hang in there. 
Um, and I say this because I, like I, sh I shared, right? I had such a hard time the first two years of my program, particularly the first year of my, of my program. And so um, I think it, it takes time, right? Obviously to adjust to a different setting for many of us, right? Um, and, you know, I think that there, there need, I think to some extent time needs to pass right by a little bit and you need to get adjusted. And I think there's also, you know, with time comes an understanding, right? I think that you belong, right? Um, and I think that you had shared this, doctora, but, um, you know, I think it's like being able to um, realize and acknowledge that you're not always going to be in this, in this um, bad time, right? Um, that things will and can get better, right? Yes. And I hope that, you know, for a lot of you that you're able to realize this, right? Um, and, you know, I know for a lot of, for me personally, it was a lot of like, constantly telling myself every day, like you belong here, right? And that is how I was able to, you know, overcome a lot of these challenges. And so I will say, hang in there, right? Um, and you can overcome these challenges, right? And it's leaning in into your support system, right? Um, telling yourself that you're badass, right? Uh, documenting all of those times that you thought you, you couldn't, but you could, right? Uh, one thing that was helpful for me was looking at my acceptance. Um, well, not look at because I got like a call when I was accepted into my program, but like listening to things like that or, or just having those things, those achievements visible, right? That you can see that you got into this program, right? So that means that you belong there, right? And so those, that is another just piece of advice, right? That you deserve to be there, that you can hopefully hang in there, right? And that this is not, you know, this is this bad thing, right? The bad feelings I think that come with just the transition and how big a journey like this is, right? Um, you know, are normal, but that it it doesn't mean that this is gonna stay this way forever, right? Um, and so, yeah, that's, I think my second piece of advice and I will leave it at that. <laughs> great, great. Well, we're getting close to wrapping up. I'm wondering if there's anything else that maybe we didn't get to cover or any other closing words. And if not, I would love for you to share how folks can stay in touch, reach you, connect with you if they resonated with what they heard today and want to hear more. Um, yes, so I don't have anything additional to share. Um, I mean, I just want folks to know, right, like I, was in your shoes, right? Dr. Yvette was in your shoes, right? And so yes. we have now, well, we have now obtained our PhDs, right? And so as we mentioned, I know for me, I'm a postdoc, but you know, it, it never really, this is like a journey, right? A lot, lot lifelong journey that we embark on, right? It's, it's just people who are um, paving the way, right? But you're not alone. That's the biggest thing I want to say, right? Like you're not alone. There's so many of us who are doing this and we're honestly, we're doing pretty well, right? Like <laughs> a lot of us are killing it. I won't speak for myself, but I know that there's some folks who are. Um, so that's just the last thing I want to say. Um, and then folks can find me um, on social media, on Instagram via um, my 
Instagram handle is Becoming a Loctora. Um, on Twitter, um, my handle is Mayra E. Gaona. And that is all for my social media. Um, uh, I also have an email. And so my email is becomingadoctora at gmail.com in case folks want to, you know, um, have a question um, or have some questions. I want to just share those via email. That would be perfectly fine too. Great, great. So for all you school psychologists folks who are interested in that field, go ahead and take advantage and shoot her a message. We will share all of those uh, details in the show notes. I want to thank you, Dr. Mayra, for spending time with us today, for sharing your knowledge, your experience, your wisdom with all of us today. I appreciate you. Thank you so much, Dr. Ivette.